You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Before I say anything, I'm going to say this. I don't think 19-year-olds should fuck 14-year-olds. I just want to be on the record about that. Be very clear. 19-year-olds should not fuck 14-year-olds. Zachary Anderson. Straight boy from a small town in Indiana. 19 years old. Meets a girl on a hookup site on a dating app. Drives to Michigan where this girl lives to actually meet her face-to-face. And the two wind up having sex. Teenagers, young teenagers, not allowed to be on this dating site, technically. They all say that. You're not allowed to be on these sites if you're underage, if you're a minor, but many, many people are. The girl tells Zachary, told Zachary that she was 17. The dating app listed her as 17. Age of consent in Michigan and Indiana, 16. So Zachary Anderson did not think he was committing a crime when he fucked this girl who was, as it turned out, 14 years old. When this girl got home, her mother was there with the police because her mother didn't know where she was and her mother was worried. This wound up entangling Zachary Anderson. He wound up being charged with a crime. He had sex with this minor, statutory rape, and he was sentenced to 90 days in jail. And when he gets out of jail, Zachary Anderson, he is going to be on a sex offender registry for the rest of his life. The judge and the prosecutor made sure of that. They demanded that, that he go on to a sex offender registry For the rest of his life. Now, being on a sex offender registry basically destroys the rest of your life. You cannot live in most places. In some states, the restrictions on sex offenders about where they can and cannot live, they can't live near a school, they can't live near a daycare center, they can't live near a public park, all predicated on the assumption that, of course, a sex offender is going to prey on children, right? makes it impossible for sex offenders to live anywhere. In in some states, to be on the sex offender registry is to essentially be banished for life. There are people, there are communities of sex offenders living in industrial areas, under bridges, and in little fucked up shanty towns because there's nowhere else that they can go or live. And that's Zachary Anderson's future. This is not an aberration. This is happening routinely. Sex offender registries which were originally set up to let the community know when someone who was a pedophile, a rapist, a sexual predator was moving into the neighborhood have become these catch-alls where people who have had sex in public, people who have had teenagers, who've had sex with other teenagers, consensual, non-coercive sex, but technically Statutory rape, sex with other teenagers have wound up on sex offender registries for the rest of their lives. People are placed on sex offender registries for public urination all across the country. Increasingly, to know that someone is a registered sex offender is to literally know nothing actionable about them. You cannot make assumptions about who this person is or what risk or danger they present to you or your family just by knowing they're on a sex offender registry. But by being on a sex offender registry, many places, they cannot go to school, can't go to college, uh, can't own, in Zachary Anderson's case, can't own a cell phone or be on a computer. Zachary Anderson was in college studying to be a computer 
coder, to be a computer scientist. That's over for him now. The courts have essentially, and the sex offender registry has essentially ended Zachary Anderson's life for the mistake of looking at a 14-year-old girl who told him that she was 17 and believing her. Now I know that adults out there, we do this crazy fucking thing. Adults who aren't around teenagers in that age bracket and we just think 14-year-old and we picture in our head the most vulnerable 12-year-old looking 14-year-old that we know. But those of us who are around teenagers, because we have teenagers, we see the spectrum of 14-year-olds, some of whom look like 12-year-olds, some of whom look like no one you could ever picture anybody taking for a 17-year-old. And we see 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds who look like they're 18, look like they're 19, look like they're 20, who a reasonable person could conclude when they said that they were 17 that they were indeed telling the truth. Here's another fucked up thing about Zachary Anderson's case. His victim, this girl, and the victim's mother, who called the police, pleaded with the judge not to sentence Zachary Anderson to prison time. He's currently in prison or to a life on a sex offender registry, to having to be a registered sex offender for life in Indiana and every other state he should ever move to because they didn't want to see his life destroyed because he hadn't destroyed this girl's life. And they did it anyway. And what really interests me and what should terrify you guys, everybody out there, young and old, who's using dating apps about Zachary Anderson's case, is what the judge and the prosecutor said during the trial. Because I said at the top of this little rant, having sex with 14-year-olds is wrong. You should not have sex with 14-year-olds. 19-year-old kids should not have sex with 14-year-old kids. That's not what exercised the judge and the prosecutor in this case. That's not what they went off on when they were prosecuting and then sentencing Zachary Anderson. It wasn't the 19-year-old, 14-year-old thing. Here's what it was. Quoting from the New York Times, during a sentencing hearing in April, Judge Dennis M. Wiley of Berrien County District Court criticized online dating in general and berated Mr. Anderson for using the internet to meet women. Quote, you went online, to use a fisherman's expression, trolling for women to meet and have sex with, the judge said. That seems to be part of our culture now. Meet, hook up, have sex, sayonara. Totally inappropriate behavior. There is no excuse for this whatsoever. Zachary Anderson is in jail right now and is going to be on a sex offender registry for the rest of his life because Judge Wiley doesn't like the way you sluts are using Tinder. That's basically what this boils down. He's making an example of Zachary Anderson for doing what millions and millions of Americans of all ages are doing. Meeting online, hooking up, having sex, sometimes NSA, no strings attached sex, and then saying sayonara. Sometimes sayonara for now, sometimes sayonara forever. Lots of people out there in loving, long-term committed relationships who met through online dating apps, initially for what they thought was going to be NSA sex, and then it got very essy, very stringy, right? Lots of people with strings attached now who thought they were meeting up for NSA sex and are happily stringed now. The prosecutor, Jerry Vigansky in Michigan, said of Mr. Anderson, we don't want people to think it's okay to go online to find somebody and then to quickly hook up for sexual gratification. That's not a good message to send to a community. 
So we are going to destroy Zachary Anderson's life to send a message to the community, not about 19-year-olds fucking 14-year-olds, but about it not being okay to go online and meet somebody for sex. We're going to destroy this kid's life, this teenager, end his life effectively, potentially end his life. There's a case in Alabama where a 15-year-old streaked at a football game, high school football game, streaked across the field and then was charged with indecent exposure, was going to be prosecuted and potentially wind up in a sex offender registry for the rest of his life because he went streaking and he hanged himself. So yeah, judge, prosecutor, criminal justice, and sex offender registries, this whole racket going to destroy Zachary Anderson's life, not because he's 19 and fucked a 14-year-old, but because he met somebody on a dating app for NSA sex. And for this, this judge and this prosecutor in the state of Michigan are destroying his life and potentially ending his life. Sex offender registries, it's been written about a lot, particularly now that you can get on them for public urination, streaking, having sex with a sex worker. A man was just sentenced to two and a half years in prison and a lifetime on a sex offender registry in Florida for having sex on a beach. They don't work unless you think that having this tool at your disposal as a prosecutor and a judge to destroy the life of a teenager to send a message to the culture about your moral disapproval of NSA sex Unless you think that's what sex offender registries are there to do, unless you think that that is a good use of them, they do not fucking work in part because all these people who are not pedophiles who have offended, who are not sexual predators, who are not rapists are on sex offender registries. And this is also a tool that is used to punish – this is America after all – African-American teenagers who have had sex with white teenagers who are close to but under the age of consent, prosecuting, as has happened, seniors in high school for having sex with sophomores when they are African-American seniors and white sophomores. This is sex offender registries and these kinds of prosecutions are disproportionately used against, disproportionately targeted, disproportionately punitive in the cases of African-American teenagers, as all criminal prosecutions in the United States are disproportionately targeted at and used against African-Americans. We have got to walk this back. We are starting to walk back our draconian drug laws, which 20 years ago no one thought was possible. We have got to start walking back this abuse of sex offender registries. This destruction of young people's lives. Young people are the people sex offender registries were created to protect in theory. We had to let you know, parents, where the sex offenders were to keep your kids safe. They're not allowed to live by schools or high schools or middle schools or parks or playgrounds to keep your kids safe. And who increasingly lands on sex offender registries and are destroyed by them? Your kids. Something has to be done about this. Here's something you can do right now. I could ask you every week to go sign a change.org petition. There are a lot of online petitions about a lot of things I agree with, a lot of causes I care about. Uh, I don't do that. I don't ask you to go sign change.org petitions all the time. But this week, I'm going to ask you to go sign a change.org petition. Just go to change.org and look for Zachary Anderson and sign the petition calling for charges to be dropped and for him not to wind up in a sex offender registry for the rest of his life. 
so he can get back to studying computer science and back to being a teenager, get back to being a young adult with his whole life in front of him, as opposed to a teenager whose whole life has been destroyed because a sex-negative, moralistic, moralizing judge and prosecutor wanted to send a message to you about the grinder Tinder dating apps on your phone and how immoral you are. So I think you should come to the defense of this kid. He needs you. He's in jail and facing this lifetime sentence on a sex offender registry, partly because of what you are doing, which is the same thing he was doing. And we need to come to his defense. Change.org. Look up Zachary Anderson. Sign the petition. All right. Coming up on the show today, tons of your questions, plus Tristan Taramino on the Magnum talking with me about how to reclaim your sex life, how to reclaim your ass after sexual abuse, sexual assault. Coming up on today's show. Hello, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old male. I've been in a relationship for eight years. We've had our ups and downs, uh, but I love my girlfriend deeply. Yeah, she's a fantastic, kind, caring woman. Uh, but unfortunately, our sex life has been in a crisis for a couple of years now, and I don't know what to do about it. I barely enjoy our sex anymore, and that is threatening our whole relationship. Now, it can be related to the fact that my uh, uh, sexual taste has changed over time. I became uh, very attracted to good athletic girls. We both work out in general in good shape, but there are some aspects of her body that uh, at some point started to turn my sexual desire off. Plus, her silly approach to talking about sex doesn't help at all. I really don't know what to do. I've introduced toys into our sex life to spice it up a little bit. And it mostly improved her experience, but my sexual drive for her is really diminishing. Uh, we're both young. I'm 30. She's 32. And I think we deserve to be happy. But while I want to be excited about having sex with her and not to be attracted to other women, I cannot control those things. So I'm really confused and frustrated. Uh, I love her and care for her deeply. But I think we desperately need some help. You've been together eight years. You love her. You say she's kind and fantastic and caring and wonderful. And you're not sexually attracted to her anymore. And you frame that as your tastes have changed over time. And now you are sexually attracted to women who are of a different body type, who are much more athletic. You're attracted to the women who won the Women's World Cup this weekend. You're attracted to that type and she ain't that type despite the fact that she goes to the gym and she works out and she's in shape. She's not – in shape enough, whatever that is. And so what do you do with that? I don't know what to tell you. You can trade her in for a younger, hotter, fitter, totter model, but then eight years go by or 10 years go by or 12 years go by and that younger, fitter, totter model that you swapped this girlfriend for, a younger, fitter, totter model who may not be as fantastic, kind, or caring a person as the woman you're with now will age. And what is taught now may not be taught in eight years or 12 years. And what then? Are you then going to prioritize your very particular and very specific taste and a particular body type and then swap that girlfriend out in 10 years for a newer, younger, totter model? 
who in time will become less taut and in time have to be swapped out until you run out of women who are willing to be swapped in for the girlfriend you're swapping out as they age out of your particular body type. This is something this being with someone who's your ideal uh, or that you're physically attracted to and time doing what it does to all of our bodies, not just to our partner's bodies and not just to women's bodies, but to all of our bodies, gravity and age shreds us all detots us all. If we don't want to make it sound so dire and how do people who are 10, 20, 30 years into a relationship with someone whose body has evolved and changed continue to love that person? Well, there is hopefully built up over time, uh, you know, a bank of, uh, of affection and comfort and familiarity and intimacy. And that is itself one form of, attraction that can build and grow over time. Sex becomes less important perhaps over time. There's also the dark over time. There's also fantasy and you can have a wonderful kick-ass sexual relationship with the person you've been with for 12 years and occasionally fuck that person or get blown by that person or eat that person's pussy while you or they lean back and close their eyes and picture the women's world cup team, the cast of magic Mike, whoever it is who's younger and totter that you might also like to be with, not instead of the person that you are with now, but in addition to perhaps the person you are with now. That is how people work around the ravages of time. Because there's a point at which you want, you know, if you're 30, you're young, you're in shape. She's 32. She's young. She's in shape. You can both run out there and find different partners. Maybe not partners who are as nice and kind and caring as she is. Although she could probably find someone nicer, kinder, and more caring than you are. But eventually you can't keep playing those kind of, I don't know, musical faces. You're going to run out of faces to sit on. And so is she. You are going to get older yourself. You are not always going to be in a position where you can trade in your current girlfriend for the younger sportier model. And if you don't overcome this block now with the woman kind, caring, fantastic woman you're with now, you will eventually have to overcome this block with the woman you're with in the future, you will eventually have to settle for a body that has settled. If not now, if you're not ready to do it now, you're still young. I'm telling you, you have to do it now. At some point in the future, you will have to do it, as we all do. Hi, Dan. Zoe from Australia, a 22-year-old bisexual queer kinkster. I've been with my partner at the moment for two and a bit years. Um, we're both kinky. We get on really well sexually. It's just he really likes polygamy. Polygamy is something that I really like to do. I really would like to have a girlfriend, but I have this horrible problem with jealousy. I can't I can't get over the fact that I can't give him everything. And I understand because I listen to your podcast. I understand I can't be like the whole 10. I can't do that. I can only be like a six and you round me up to a 10. But I hate that I'm not enough. And that's what it makes me feel. I just wanted to, I want you to talk some sense into me. Before I talk some sense to you, let's define terms. You say that he's interested in polygamy. Now, polygamy is to have more than one spouse. That would mean he was interested in having two or three or four or 20 or 500 wives like King David. And I assume that's not exactly what you mean. Uh, you, I believe you probably mean polyamory, which is having more than one concurrent romantic sexual relationship at a time. 
Polygamy tends to be associated with more patriarchal cultures. It's usually almost always men having multiple wives and controlling them as a resource uh, and really hoarding all the girls. And polyamory is he gets to have other girlfriends. You get to have other girlfriends and boyfriends and he can have other boyfriends. Also, if he's bi, which you don't mention – and just like lots of love and affection and many partners. And I think that's what you are talking about. Not polygamy, but polyamory and jealousy. Jealousy is the other issue that you're talking about. And how do you overcome that? Well, you're only 22 years old. You haven't probably been in a polyamorous relationship before. You haven't been with someone who's with someone else. So it's a big scary unknown. What's that going to feel like when he is off with some other girl or woman and they're going to have – get off and do something and, and have a romantic or sexual encounter that doesn't involve or include you. And how's that going to feel? And right now it doesn't feel good, right? This big, scary unknown feels like a big, scary unknown. And you might indeed react negatively. It might hurt or it might not be the big deal that, you know, the monogamous cultural settings uh, that really carved a groove into your psyche too have convinced you that it's going to be. It might be a big nothing when it happens or your twinges of jealousy and these feelings might be unpleasant but bearable and you can obliterate them with, you know, a couple of hits of pot and a night at the movies or hanging out with some girl that you want to perhaps get with too. The only way to find out how this is going to feel in the moment is to keep talking with your boyfriend about polyamory, if indeed it is something that you want to sign up for, and tiptoe in that direction. It might help if you guys, you know, many, most of the polyamorous couples that I know personally, it didn't start off with, you go have a girlfriend and I'm going to go have a boyfriend and we're going to go do our own things. We're going to have these separate relationships. In most cases, people I know in polyamorous relationships, their first encounters with other people, they encountered those other people together. They had three ways or they saw, you know, two couples got together and swung or whatever. They had a four-way. And the and both partners in the previously closed relationship were able to participate and observe and be included in their partner's first experience with someone else and it be, it became less scary. Like there they were, you're here too. We're all taking care of each other even though all in the same room, all messing around, all being good to each other, all taking care of each other. And the leap then is can you be good to each other and take care of each other and still prioritize each other's feelings and sense of safety and process each other's natural, normal feelings of jealousy and insecurity if you're not all going to be in the same room together, if he is going to go off with someone else alone or you are going to go off with someone else alone. I'm trying to talk sense to you and I'm just like laying out how this can work. But this is a fear. Like what will it mean and how will I react when he is with someone else that the only way you can – Find out what it's going to feel like and confront it and overcome it is by doing it. Eventually, you got to jump when you go bungee jumping. Eventually, you've just got to leap. And this is something that's going to feel a bit like that. You're going to stand there on the ledge, all strapped in, the safety harness and the thing buckled around your feet, and you're going to double check and make sure everything's good to go. And then you just stand there for a minute or two and you leap. And the comparable sort of safety harness and buckling in and strapping in for opening up a previously closed relationship is talk, is conversation, is consideration, is delay if one partner needs more time to think about it and talk about it and be reassured and really feel like this isn't a threat to the primacy of your bond and then process, 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 buckle in, buckle in, buckle in and 
at some point you jump. Some people go bungee jumping that one first time and they decide this is not for them. This is not something they ever want to do ever again. They jump and they throw up on the way down and then they bounce up and they come back up through their own vomit and fall back down through their own vomit on their way back down. And they go, you know what? This is bullshit. I don't like bungee jumping. I don't ever want to do this again. I didn't die. I didn't get hurt. The rope didn't break. I'm alive. But that sucked and wasn't the fun that other people who enjoy it led me to believe that it might be. So I'm not bungee jumping anymore. That can be someone's reaction to that first open relationship. They can hear how awesome open relationships are from their friends who are in them, from assholes like me sometimes who advocate for them. And then they go off and they try it themselves and they realize it's not for them. But the only way, 22-year-old bi Australian kingster, that you're going to figure out whether it is for you or not for you is to try it. Dan, I have a bit of a situation. So a dear, dear female friend of mine was invited to this event by uh, a guy who I know, I know his name, but I don't, he's not my friend. So um, the event is in his town. He offers to host her for the night. She drives there. They go to the event. They go back and they're back at his place and she falls asleep. She wakes up and this guy is standing over her. She was asleep alone in the room. And he's touching her shoulder and he's saying, I want to fuck. I want to have sex. I want to fuck you. Let's fuck. Um, she's saying, no, 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 no. I have a boyfriend. No, 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 no. After you know, a long while of this, he ultimately leaves the room, but he's still kind of lurking. Um, they're in his house and I don't think there's even a lock on the door. And so he was, you know, 10 feet away and obviously she didn't sleep a wing. She was pretty scared all night. I want to speak to this guy from a male perspective. You know, she can talk to him and make him feel shame, but maybe if I spoke to him, I'd be able to, you know, change his ideas about how to treat women, you know, optimistically I could do that. Um, and so I'll say, Hey, listen, you know, this is inappropriate. This is a creepy way to act. I don't appreciate this. I'd love you to go to my friend and say you respect her and this will never, ever, 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 ever happen again. Um, and my goal with that is not to get, you know, an apology or get the event to go away, just sort of prevent my friend from being terrorized every time she sees him. And the problem with those two is that they're in this social volunteering leadership type organization together. So she's in the social circle with him. She wants to stay in the group. She's worried about seeing him again and maybe it happening again or, you know, rebuttal if she reports that kind of thing. You don't mention in your call whether you've asked the girl, the woman in question, the woman who was sexually harassed, who is approached in this inappropriate way, who felt unsafe in this man's presence and in his apartment, whether she wants you to confront him or not. Have you asked her? Yes, 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 yes. And what did she say? Um, I've been talking to her quite a bit. And uh, yeah, she she plans on talking to him. And I have not spoken with him at this point. But did she, what did she feel? What did she think about you talking to him? Right. Um, she, I, at this point, we're going to let her talk to him first. Okay. And things, maybe I've found up some new information since I've called too, which is sort of that uh, I've just talked to some gal. I, so I, I had this event where this guy was, I knew he was going to show up and be at this event uh -huh. and uh, sort, of, sort of a music festival type thing. So I just was like kind of warning a female friend of mine. I was like, hey, listen, don't get blackout drunk around this guy, yada, yada, right? Mm -hmm. And the overwhelming response I got was, he's a creep. He seems like someone has raped someone. Like these are direct quotes from girls that I hadn't even talked to about yet. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just kind of thinking that this is sort of a serial thing for this guy. So I, now I'm even more confused what to do. Okay, well, there's a difference between he has raped someone and he makes women feel uncomfortable and unsafe. 
Uh, You're absolutely right. I can't there, prove that he has raped him. Yeah, I can't prove that he has raped him. And there's also guys who have, I don't know, you know, the, the male equivalent of resting bitch face being sort of resting sex predator kind of demeanor where they actually <laughs> haven't done anything, but they just they have a creepy vibe and women are right to, you know, to defend themselves and to be on their guard at all times because enough men are predators and rapists and shitbags that women aren't safe in the presence of men generally. Men don't get the benefit of the doubt. And men who, you know, exude something that makes women feel uncomfortable, women, you know, will talk about that and rightly so. And they don't have to wait to be raped to conclude that somebody is indeed the creep that they appear to be, right? I think that you should confront this guy. Absolutely, yes. I think there's a constructive way to confront this guy and an unconstructive way to confront this guy. Based on what your friend told you about that night, he didn't rape her. He, he didn't even touch her. Is that correct? He touched her shoulder and maybe her shin or her knee, but not like he didn't try to pull her clothes off. But he did. Was that in the bedroom at the apartment? Correct. Yes. Okay. So he, he touched her in ways that were unwelcome and inappropriate. She said no. And he backed off even though he hovered and, and did something very creepy. And the, the line isn't, you know, Oh, he didn't rape somebody. So everything else is okay. Up until that point, you can, uh, you know, you can do whatever the fuck you want. No, it's not okay. But, <laughs> but right, he did right. back the fuck off. And we, in this, in this circumstance, we, we, we don't know if he's backed the fuck off in every circumstance, but he's clearly got a problem and it's clearly going to get worse. And the lives, you know, he could hurt somebody else. He could destroy someone else's life. But there needs to be an accountability loop that gets to him and communicates to him that there's another life that he may fuck up and ultimately ruin or destroy, and it's his own. Right. And it's not just, oh, you're going to go to prison if you cross a line. But no, there are going to be social consequences. We are all friends. I have female friends. You make my female friends feel uncomfortable. You pulled this shit with one of my female friends who felt really unsafe and she's hurt and she's fearful. And this is going to have blowback for you. You shouldn't be doing this period at all. You shouldn't be doing this because of the impact it has on the women in our, in your life, in your social circles, in my life, in my social circles, my friends. That's enough reason you shouldn't be doing it. You also shouldn't be doing it because look, asshole, we're not going to want you around. You're going to hurt your own social prospects, your own career. And ultimately, if you do cross a line with somebody, you're going to destroy your life. You're going to explode your life. A lot of these people, they go and go and go in this direction because what happens is people just begin to like pull away from them and recede. People like – and so they don't – it never quite – because they're narcissistic or they're just motherfucking assholes. It never quite gets to them that that they're hurting anybody or that, that are, they're upsetting people. They just sort of churn through new groups of people and new friends and lose those friends and meet new people and the, the shit just repeats itself. And nobody ever walks up to them and says, this is what's happening. This is what you're doing and this is the price that you're paying and it's got to stop. And the the biggest reason it's got to stop is because it's unfair to the women in your life. It's unfair to the women in my life. It's unfair to the women in our social circle. It's wrong, period, for that reason. That is, that is the biggest issue. Secondary, look at what it's doing to you. Nobody wants you around now because you do this to the women in our social circle. Right. And you got to knock it the fuck off. And maybe nobody has said this to him before. 
Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't me if no one had said it to him before. There, and how old, how old roughly are we talking about here? Let's say around 30. All right, maybe he's coasted through his teens and 20s pulling this shit and nobody's confronted him. Maybe your mm-hmm. confrontation will be, you know, he'll suddenly see himself the way others see him and he'll have some sort of epiphany and he'll run off to your friend and apologize or maybe this is his shitty M.O. and this is the way he's going to behave and nothing is going to change him. If he, right. ha- if he has the epiphany and he changes and he gets therapy and he gets help and he knocks it the fuck off, good for you, good for him. And good for your friend, good for her, all of you, for confronting him. And if he doesn't have that epiphany yeah. and it doesn't stop, cut him out of your social circles. Cut him out of your lives. Yeah, we've definitely gone that far already. I, I, I get uncomfortable when I look at the guy. I don't want to hang out with him ever, for sure. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're very right. Then there's no reason not to confront him. If you're already cutting him out of your lives, there's no price to pay. You're, you're already casting him out, casting him aside. So, you know, people often fear confrontation because it could screw up your relationship with someone to confront them about their shit. Sure. And you're gonna, you're, sure. you've already concluded you're not going to have a relationship with this guy, so let it rip. And you may save him from himself. You may save women going forward from him. If he, if he does reflect, if he does realize he's paying a price and change his ways, if only for a narcissistic self-serving reason so as not to continue to fuck up his life, it'll still benefit the women that he comes into contact with. But hopefully, fingers crossed – He'll have that epiphany. There's a lot of guys out there in their mid-20s, late-20s, 30s, early 30s who look back on the way they treated women when they were younger and are ashamed of it. So people are sure. – people can come around. People can have that sort of epiphany and resolve to do better. So give him – let's give him some, be- some small benefit of the doubt and live in hope that this confrontation that you're going to have as you end your relationship with him makes him a better person going forward. But go have that confrontation. Sounds good, Dan. Will do. Good luck, man. Hi, Dan. I am a 32-year-old straight female. I have been dating a guy for about a little over two months, and it's getting pretty serious. I really like him and want it to proceed. Um, I have a weird situation that's never happened to me. He claims in past relationships, especially with his ex that he just broke up with about three months ago, who was addicted to sex, as he claims, and got him into porn. And he now has a running porn um, Tumblr account that's kind of anonymous on his end. But he's showed it to me before and has been open about it. He just doesn't seem to be able to have um, intercourse and stay hard like when he fucks me which is a problem because I like feeling a dick fucking me and I want it to be his um, he loves going down on me he loves blowjobs but when it comes to actually having intercourse the two of us he can't keep it hard and I don't know if this is from some porn thing um, that I haven't spoken to him about beyond the Tumblr account I don't know if it's because he has been married before for 12 years and alluded to the fact that he had some um, emotional abuse from his ex-wife and that she used sex as a weapon. Um, I don't know if it's something else, and I don't really know how to bring it up to him without offending him or um, taking it in the wrong direction. I want to remain really positive and supportive um, because I do like where where this is going, but it just never happens, and I'm kind of looking for advice because I'm a little lost. I'm surprised you like where this is going. You're two months in, and 
He can't fuck you. Uh, he has all these sort of underlying issues, sex addiction and an ex-girlfriend who got him into porn because no man is into porn until girlfriends come around and get them into porn and an ex-wife who is emotionally abusive. He has all these problems that he has laid at the feet of his exes and that they are responsible for and he is not responsible for and hasn't taken any responsibility for it personally and can't fuck you. And you're two months in to this relationship, only eight weeks invested and you're tiptoeing around these issues because you're more concerned about his ego and his feelings than you are about your own needs. And you've lost sight of the fact that you have a right in a relationship to advocate for yourself. And you want to be with someone that you can lay that out on the table in front of without having to worry that they're going to shatter or dissolve into a puddle on the floor. And here's a guy who's convinced you that he is going to shatter and dissolve into a puddle, just melt in front of you. If you broach the subject of the fact that the sex isn't working for you, and if this is going to be a long-term committed, potentially ongoing, sexually exclusive relationship, you guys have to figure out a way to make the sex work. And if you asking questions about that, if you laying your needs out in front of him is not something that you think he can handle, why do you like where this is going? I think this is going nowhere and you should pull the fucking plug and you should end it. If you don't want to pull the plug, if you don't want to end it, if you have high hopes for this guy, lay it out anyway. Don't tiptoe around it. You have these issues around sex. You need to work on those. Maybe you need to get a therapist and talk about sex addiction and pornography and performance anxiety, whatever else. These are the things that I'd like to have in my sex life with a committed partner. Let's figure out how we can meet each other's needs. And if that causes his head to explode, if that causes him to shatter, if he melts into a puddle in front of you, then he's not in good working order. He's not healthy enough to be in a relationship with. And you don't want to be in a relationship with someone that you can't be honest and direct with. Not sadistically direct, not honesty as a weapon. Just direct about your expectations, your needs, your wants, your hopes. A terrible, terrible precedent to set eight weeks in. Where you can't be honest with him because he's so fragile. I don't think a person in your boyfriend's shoes who is in a relationship with someone where he is consciously or subconsciously manipulating that person successfully with their own fragility gets stronger because their fragility in a situation like that is a, is control. It's power and people don't give up power willingly. So long as you allow his sexual fragility, all of these issues to shut your mouth to prevent you from asking difficult or direct questions, to prevent you from advocating for your needs, he's not going to get better. So put it out there. And if he's gone, you're well rid of him. And if he sticks around and works on getting better, then maybe this is something that should go forward. Hi, Dan. I really need some help. I am a 22-year-old bisexual. I was sexually assaulted. Um, that's how I lost my virginity. And my uh, rapist also um, sodomized me during the attack. I was 14. I have been in counseling. I'm okay, like I'm okay. But my current fiance, uh, who is a woman, wants to uh, explore some ass play, put dildos in me and fingers and things like that. I'm 
totally down with it. I have never felt more safe uh, with anyone. I feel completely comfortable. Um, I, I want to experiment with this. I want to stop thinking of that part of my body as a victim, I guess, and start thinking of it as something that I can still derive pleasure from. So I really do want to give this a try. My only problem is, is that if any sort of pain happens, I shut down. I lose any ability to orgasm at that during that point, and I just can't. Um, I tense up, and I just am completely uninterested. I just want to know what your thoughts are on that, how maybe I can get over that. How is there some steps process I could take where I could just start out uh, small? I don't, I don't really know um, what to do. But I really want to try it with her. I really want to get to the point where where I get a lot of pleasure from it. But any pain at all really freaks me out, um, especially in that area. And I'm just not sure how to overcome that. So any thoughts that you have would be great. My fiance is really interested in this. I really want to give her what she wants. I really want to go there for her. And, and I want to go there for me, too, um, and overcome this, you know, once and for all. But I'm just really kind of kills my lady boner. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Tristan Tarmino. She's written two books, an advice column for 15 years, a fellow and rival advice columnist. She's directed six sex ed films all about anal pleasure and sex. She is obsessed. She's also the host of Sex Out Loud, a radio show and podcast of her very own. Thanks for jumping on the phone today, Tristan. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. This when I when I heard this question, I thought I got to get Tristan for it. I got to get Tristan for it. She is interested in anal uh, play. She you know she's invested in. It. She wants to be able to go there for her very loving fiance that she feels very safe with. But you know because of her history with sexual trauma and and rape and and the way she was violated at age fourteen, any sort of pain, particularly back there, just shuts her down and, and mm-hmm. pulls her out of the moment. Is there? a way to explore anal play, pleasure, sex that's completely pain-free where pain isn't uh, anything you need to worry about or a risk? Is that a possibility? You know, this one is a really tricky one. And I should have, you know, I should have known this because your your listeners are kind of like above average in terms of their sexual savviness. Well, thank you. I mean, I feel like we have to address this both on a physical and a psychological level. Mm-hmm. On the physical level, anal sex should not hurt. But is there and can there be some discomfort initially? Yeah. And so I kind of have my speech about, you know, how to decrease discomfort. And that's all about using plenty of lube, warming up going really slowly. The person on the receiving end should be the one in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. And of course, I want to convey all that to her. But I feel like this is different in that some of what could be causing tension and pain could be the trauma, the memory of the trauma. Right. And so no amount of lube is going to change that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Right. Um. But I'm, I'm excited about like her tone of voice and how I feel like she's really committed to reclaiming this part of her body and this part of her sexuality to be hers. That gives me hope that I think we could work on this. Me too. And I've heard this from, from other people. You know, and I have friends also who've been victims of uh, 
rape and, and sexual violence. And what, what I've heard from a lot of them listening to them is that, that there has come this moment where it became defiant to take this back, that they didn't mm-hmm. want whoever it was that violated them to continue to control who they were now. And, and I got that listening to the caller, the, the sense that this is mine and I want it back and I'm going to take it back. And that sense of not doing this for her partner, but doing it for herself and doing it to forever shut the door on what was done to her at 14, to not let that person, that monster, that asshole, whoever that person was, continue to limit her sexual expression as an adult. Right. That that can be very empowering for that to be a, a starting point, a, a position, a stance. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you were violated in some way and you can never go there, that that particular act or experience is always going to be triggering for you, that you are failing at, you know, at recovery or anything else. That sometimes even me, I, I could cite something in my life that just, I just don't go there because it's just, I will, there will never be pleasure there for me right. in, in this thing. So it's out. But we, you know, you can sometimes work through something where it felt like that before. I can't go there, but I'm taking that back. And that can be very empowering. Just that posture, that, that resolution or pardon me, not resolution, and, that resolve. Yeah. And I think, so I think the key here is she needs to set herself up for success. Emotionally, I feel like she's done that. It sounds like she's got the partner that she could make this breakthrough with. She's got trust She's got love. She's got connection. She's got safety. So that's great. Physically, set yourself up for success by going as slow and as gently as possible. We are not going to rush any element of this. And the truth is, when she starts to feel pain, listen to your body. Listen to and honor your body and, and stop, mm-hmm. right? There's also the option of anal outer course. We talk about outer course when it comes to, uh, you know, genitalia to what's on the front. But there's also anal outer course where you can explore anal pleasure and anal stimulation without any anal penetration at all. Yeah. And in fact, I think she might have to go back to a real basic beginner place where I, I tend to send a lot of people, which is to explore anal pleasure on her own. Absolutely. You know, I think that if she can incorporate it into masturbation, she doesn't have the pressure on top of all, this is already kind of a loaded subject for her, but she also wants to make it better and she wants to please her partner and she wants to reclaim it and all that. Maybe take the pressure off partner sex and say, I'm just going to work on my relationship with my ass and my anal sex Mm -hmm. on my own. And until I get 100% comfortable with it, by myself, I'm not going to introduce it back into partner sex. And the great thing with that is you're completely in control. And that is what, for a lot of people who've been violated, can seem even more than the particulars of what exactly is happening. It's the giving up of control or allowing someone else to drive things, even if you haven't 100% given up control. It's not a power exchange moment. But to just be in complete control of whatever it is that you're feeling and there not being somebody at the other end of the dildo or the butt plug with their own agenda – can be mm-hmm. very freeing. And to have seven, eight, 10, 12, two dozen, three dozen, a hundred orgasms or so during masturbation where your anus is in play and you're playing with it can create a new association between anal stimulation and pleasure and control with you being in control, caller. Yeah. And it can be very healing. And I do want to kind of plug a book that's not written by me, um, which is Healing Sex by Stacey Haynes. 
Um, I think it's the best book on healing from sexual trauma that's out there. And I would also encourage um, this caller to read that and for her partner to read it too. Any other books? I w- I'm going to plug The Ultimate Guide to Anal Sex for Women by Tristan Taramino, which is excellent Thanks. and I've recommended many, many times to many, many satisfied readers, women who've uh, gotten back to me to tell me how important and helpful that book was for them. Anything else you might want to uh, assign as reading for our caller? I mean, if she wants to see any of my movies or any of my DVDs, I'm happy to send them to her for free because she was brave enough to share this with everyone. And I think it's going to resonate for a whole bunch of people out there. Well, call her if you want those uh, DVDs, just give us a call back and we will arrange to get them to you. Tristan Tarmino, thank you so much for jumping on the phone today. Thanks, Dan. She's the host of Sex Out Loud. Look for it on iTunes and listen to it and check out her books and her sex ed films about anal pleasure and sex. Thanks again, Tristan. It was great. Hi, Dan. This is a 34-year-old straight male. My wife and I have been married nine years together for 14. We have two children together and a stable home life. Uh, We're still in love. The sex is good and pretty frequent. However, I've been interested in open relationships before I even knew what they were called. I've never brought these desires up to my wife until about a year ago when I found out that another couple uh, appeared who had a happy relationship admitted that they were in an open marriage. Inspired by their example of a working open relationship, I finally started discussing it with my wife. Initially, she was very upset at the thought of me wanting to have other partners. Eventually, she accepted the idea enough to start discussing rules and what an open marriage would look like for us. The negotiation of rules and expectations went on for several months, and we finally agreed on a list. Finally, she said that she would be willing to give me permission, but she was not interested in other partners for herself. In an effort to earn her trust and to show that I was taking the newfound permission seriously, I waited before running out and jumping into something with a third party. I told her that I was actively looking, and then I waited a few weeks. I told her that there were some women that expressed an interest in me, but I hadn't met with them yet, and waited. And when it finally came close to meeting someone, uh, she rescinded her permission and said that she could not go through with it. I love my wife dearly and do not want to hurt her. At the same time, I've always had an interest in a monogamish or non-monogamy relationship. And I don't see my desires changing as I've already tried to suppress them during the earlier years of our marriage. I don't want to cheat. Is there anything else I can do to show her that my lust and my love are very different things and that wanting to have other partners is not a sign that she's failed me as a spouse? You mentioned there at the end of the call her fears that she's somehow failing you as a spouse. It might help if you went to her and said that that what's really going on here and what's really up is that in a way you failed her as a spouse because you, despite knowing that even before there was a name for it, even before you could really articulate it, that you were, that you are polyamorous, that you could never be with just one person, you made a monogamous commitment to this woman. You entered into uh, a monogamous perhaps by default setting, maybe this as two young straight people 14 years ago, you married at 20, isn't something you guys discussed or articulated, but you went into the default setting straight monogamous marriage model with her and her expectation was that's what you wanted. That's the relationship that you went and found. That's what you agreed to. 
that was the vow you took to her? And 14 years and two kids in, you lay this on her. And she may feel that she has no choice but to acquiesce, but to agree to some openness in the marriage to keep you in the marriage. She may feel very vulnerable because what if you left? Are you going to break up your children's home? Are you both going to be economically impoverished if you can't sustain two households with the income that the both of you currently use to sustain one? She may be agreeing to you seeing other women under emotional, psychological, financial duress. And it might not be coming from a very joyful place. And then you folding your arms across your chest and looking at her and demanding joyful consent to this is adding insult to injury. If this is a price of admission for you, if being with you going forward means she has to agree to being in an open relationship, perhaps that's the price of admission she'd be willing to pay. But you need to talk about it with her in those terms. That this may be something that she doesn't like, but is she willing to eat it? And then you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself if you can live with yourself after really unilaterally imposing a renegotiated relationship model, new terms for your marriage on your wife in such a way that makes her deeply unhappy, that violates the agreement that you made with her 14 years ago when you married her, that you had with her when you had two children by her, with her. I get it. You're polyamorous. The question is, do you stay together and she agrees to allowing you to sleep with other women despite it making her miserable or do you part ways? Do you divorce? And then you can find a polyamorous partner or you can remain single and just fuck around. I wish it was her calling. I wish I could talk to your wife about what she's willing to settle for. And perhaps, as I said to a caller earlier today on the show, you know, she fears what this means and the actual reality of it once you go and do it once she bungee jumps, once she gives you permission and you leave the house and you go do this, maybe the reality won't be quite as scary or consequential as she fears it will be. Maybe what it is that you want, what, what it is that you've told her you want, she worries that there's more, there's other shoes that are you're waiting to drop and the only way to prove to her that there aren't is to go out and fuck some other women and come home and love her and not be any less a husband than you already are and have been. Your question in the end was how do I convince her? You may not be able to convince her. You may just have to impose this on her and then live with yourself. May not get her happy consent. She may not do a joyful little dance for you to make you feel better about what you're about to do. She may grieve and mourn this. If what you're asking for is permission to do what you want to do and not just permission, but a pat on the back from her, her joyful assent, you may not get that. And if you can't live with yourself without that, then you don't get to fuck other women, potentially. There's one other option you can throw out there on the table, which is a DADT agreement, which is don't ask, don't tell. Like, all right, we've talked this all out. You don't want it to happen. Maybe the deal shouldn't be I can date other women and have other partners and it's polyamory and you're going to meet my girlfriends. And if you ever want to be with somebody else, I'll meet your boyfriend. Maybe the agreement will be I'm going to do what I need to do to stay sane and stay married and do it in such a way that you never find out about it. And we can live as so many other married straight couples do with the assumption that we've both never slept with anybody else when in reality, perhaps 
one or the other or both of us have at some point. She may find it easier to live with unknowns than to live with the knowledge that you have fucked other women. Hi, Dan. I'm an early 20s bisexual college female. My problem is that I don't really find sex particularly enjoyable. I've been sexually active for around four years. um, And in that time, I've had sex with many opposite sex partners and a few of the same sex. Um, Sex used to be more of a novelty, so it was pretty fun. Um, But as I've become more experienced, the novelty has worn off and I just find it boring. Um, It's become something that I could really take or leave. My libido is pretty non-existent, but I will occasionally have sex anyway, um, just because I kind of feel like I should. I've never orgasmed on my own or from a partner, um, and when I try to masturbate, I just don't get wet, um, regardless if I use vibrators, dildos, my fingers, whatever. I don't feel like I'm asexual. I desire relationships, and I desire the idea of sex. It's just that sex is almost always boring, and I'm just waiting for it to be over. Um, It doesn't really feel good anymore even though I really want to be into it. Any tips on how to get over this? Um, I want to enjoy sex. I just don't really know how anymore. On the one hand, I feel like I should refer you to asexuality.org. That's the home of the Asexuality Visibility and Education Network, where you can read all about asexuality, which is a spectrum, and you may fall somewhere in the spectrum. There are people who are asexual but het romantic or biromantic or gay romantic. You could want a partner. You say you want a partner. Uh, and want to be romantically involved with that partner but not interested in having sex with that partner, you can find a partner who's asexual who wants and doesn't want the same things you do and don't want. On the other hand, you say you want to get over this and you want to enjoy sex and not just enjoy sex but enjoy sex again because earlier in your sexually active life when you were just starting out, you did enjoy it. Sounds like there's a disconnect, though. You say that you've never climaxed, you've never had an orgasm. You, when you attempt to masturbate, you don't become aroused, you don't get wet. I think there's some disconnect between your body and your brain, between your sexuality and your physicality, and you should think and sit with that for a while before you make any decisions about what labels may apply, before you strip off the bi-label and apply the asexual label. I think you should – Tiptoe away from all labels and just be in your body. Stop having sex with people just to do it. Just be still. You say you're in your early 20s. A lot of women don't really come into their, you know, there's that old cliche about men have their sexual peak as teens, women in their late 20s. I've heard from many women over the years who were incapable of really becoming very aroused, incapable of uh, having an orgasm in their teens and early 20s, but by their late 20s were suddenly things were kicking into gear and they were suddenly these women who couldn't come at 22 who were sending me letters by 29 and 30 were coming like crazy and suddenly very plugged in. Like their bodies had, their genitals had found a way to send new nerves up to their reptile brain and things were suddenly working. So I would advise you to just relax, smoke some pot, go see magic Mike, chill the fuck out Live in your body and let your body speak to you. And maybe in a year or two, what your body is going to tell you is, yeah, you are – you have a romantic orientation, maybe a bisexual romantic orientation, but you are asexual. Sex isn't what relationships or intimacy is about for you and you don't have to do it. You don't have to have sex and you can still have a relationship. 
without having to have sex. Just have that relationship with someone who also doesn't want to have sex or have that relationship with someone who is completely content to have sex with other people but to be your committed and romantic partner. My only other piece of advice, and I'm just throwing some things up for you to think about. Sometimes when people say I'm not interested in sex or sex doesn't turn me on anymore or whatever I'm doing isn't working and I've really drilled down with them and had you know a private conversation with somebody in an airport. This has actually happened to me. It's that they weren't having the sex that they really wanted to have. They weren't having the sex that really excited them. They weren't with the person or people and they weren't doing the things or exploring the dynamics or fetishes or kinks or power plays or whatever. They weren't doing what really aroused them and they didn't really have a problem with sex. Their, their problem was the sex they were having was not the sex they wanted to have. If they could give themselves permission to have the sex they really wanted to have, it would work and it would start working. And in many cases, it did for those people that I've known personally in some instances and spoken to. Sometimes people don't know what it is that they want because particularly I think this is a problem for young women because they've been told to want things. They've been told they should want X, Y, and Z and – they need to sit and think and walk it back and, and figure out whether the things that they think they want are the things that they themselves actually want or they're wanting the things that the culture told them that they were supposed to want as women. So sit with that for a while too. When you try to masturbate, are you allowing yourself to fantasize about or think about what you really might be aroused by or are you thinking about the things that, like Magic Mike, the culture tells you you're supposed to be aroused by? You need to discover yourself. Watch some porn. Read erotica. Read widely. Expose yourself to many different kinds of scenarios, partner possibilities, sexual dynamics, power dynamics, and see what, if anything, clicks. If nothing clicks, there's asexuality.org, and maybe you'll find yourself there. Hi, Dan. I have always wanted to call your show. I enjoy it so much. And today I finally have a reason. I have a friend with me who has not got to listen to your show before, but I told her you were the one to call. She is a, um, a cleaning person and she cleans people's houses for a living. And recently through a Craigslist ad, she got a couple that called her asking her some questions that um, she did not know how to answer. Essentially, a 60-year-old retired man, uh, that's all that we know about him, called uh, my friend and asked her if she would be willing to come over and write a schedule for him and his wife. He explained to her that it was a marriage of convenience, not for love, and that in the past they lived with his aunt, who they submitted to. He told um, my friend that they were both very submissive people and that this is the lifestyle that they've chosen, that they've been quiet about it in the past, but that they're looking for someone to help them now. Essentially, he told her he wants her to tell them what time to wake up in the morning, what time to go to bed, write them the schedule, pick out their outfits, clean their house, and help them organize to get rid of what they want. Apparently, this is some kind of kinky situation for sure, and the guy definitely knows that because he repeated to my friend several times that they were both submissive. She is afraid to meet them in person because she doesn't want to get chopped up into little bits. 
I told her that they were so honest about who they were that the people that would probably chop her in a little bit are the people who would call her to just say, hey, come clean my house. So, Dan, what are your thoughts? Should she go? She's just a regular cleaning person. She doesn't know what to charge also if she does go, and she's not sure how to handle it. My hunch is that your friend, the house cleaner, if she agreed to do this to clean their house and tell them when they're allowed to get up and tell them what they're allowed to wear and tell them what things in the house they need to get rid of, no more ottoman for you. I don't know what that would mean. Those parcheesi boards, they're out of here. That the, the the caller would disappear, that this is probably somebody not crank calling, but jack off calling, not to call to be a jack off, but calling and laying out this elaborate fantasy scenario, which involved some sort of Dom sub incestuous relationship with an aunt at one point um, and jacking off about the, the, the fantasy and involving uh, an innocent third party who believes that the fantasy is actually for real allows the person on the other end of the phone fantasizing about it to experience it in a different way. Like that there's somebody else out there who believes this is actually what I'm about makes jacking off about the person that I wish I was that much more pleasurable and the scenario that much more plausible. So if your friend agreed to it, I doubt that the gig would even materialize. These people probably don't exist except in the imagination of the caller who has a phone in one hand and his own dick in the other. That said, you know, if they did exist and they were actually looking for this, it would be a lot more work than your friend is probably willing to take on because it sounds less like a dom sub scenario and more like a mom toddler's scenario, when to get up, what to wear, what they can have in the house. If I were your friend and a house cleaner, I wouldn't want to take on the responsibility of ordering around two fully grown adults in so uh, elaborate and minute a way. What an exhausting load that would be to bear. That's not somebody being submissive to you as a dom and making your life easier. That's somebody submitting to you in such a way where you're that, that just creates work for you and effort for you. And, and you're constantly having to pay attention to them. They're not submitting to your will. They're forcing you to pretend that you're dominating them when you're submitting to theirs. It's very different. It's also if indeed these two people are out there and if they are elderly or older and he's actually looking for this, it's a recipe for elder abuse. It's a recipe for some unscrupulous person to sweep in and drain their bank accounts and their IRAs and their saving accounts and exploit them financially or emotionally or socially or for housing or whatever else. Should your friend take the gig on? I don't think so. Because I don't think the guy exists because it will be more work than your friend could ever possibly do for them. And it would be an enormous pain in the ass. So I, I'm with your friend who had this squicky negative reaction. Not squicky negative because Dom sub squicks me out. It doesn't. Not squicky negative because uh, sex work and this would be a kind of elaborate form of sex work with house cleaning. Squicks me out. It doesn't. But it squicks me out because it's just impossibly elaborate and exhausting. And even if they exist, even if this couple exists and the ant used to exist and this is what they're actually looking for, your friend won't be able to meet their impossible needs. And if she tried, she would give up after a week or two and it would be over. So 
don't push your friend to do this. Your friend, I think, is having the right reaction in not wanting to do this, not wanting to touch it. Hi, I am a 22-year-old bisexual female, and I recently was basically found out by my family. Um, Long story short, I had bought a gay pride t-shirt online. And my parents opened my mail and found it. Um, Right now, I'm living home for the summer, and my parents are basically funding my way through college. Unfortunately, they didn't take it very well once they found out. And they've basically forbidden me from telling the rest of the family and threatened not to pay for college and just put me in a really difficult spot. So I'm really confused what to do now because I feel like I'm tearing my family apart by coming out. But at the same time, I kind of do want to come out. And I think they're overreacting because one of my cousins is lesbian and she brings her girlfriend to family reunions and people are okay with it. So I feel like they're definitely overreacting here. Um, They also basically accuse me of like lying to them for the last 22 years which definitely is kind of bullshit because I remember telling them when I was 16 that I liked one of my friends and um, they assured me that it wasn't sin as long as I didn't act on it. So I've definitely felt this way for a long time about girls and I'm the kind of bisexual where like I've had romantic feelings and romantic relationships with girls before. Right now, I'm seeing a guy, though, so it's really easy for me to just pretend that I'm totally straight, and I'm not sure if I just should until I get out of college, but I don't think they'll ever be okay with my family knowing, and I really don't want them to cut me off, and I really love my parents, and besides that, I'm very close to my mom. Tell your parents what they want to hear. Tell your parents what they're threatening to retaliate financially against you if you don't tell them, which is that you're not bisexual, right? Tell them you're not bi if you really do need them to pay for your education. If they really are controlling that, if they're willing to push that button, you can lie to your parents under that kind of economic duress. I don't think that's a betrayal of the LGBT civil rights movement or your own bisexual identity or anything else. I have advised lesbians and gay kids who are in college whose parents would cut them off If their parents found out that they were gay, to wait to come out to them until they were no longer financially dependent on them. I've even advised young kids whose parents are freaking out after they did come out to them, whose parents insisted that they take it back, that so long as they were living in their house and their parents were threatening them and really imperiling their futures and their lives and their physical safety, that they had the queer community's blessing to lie to their shitty parents and tell them what they had to tell them for their own safety and well-being. And you have a right to do the same. Tell your shitty mother, much as you love her, tell your shitty father, much as you love him, that you ain't bi and that you're not going to come out to anyone else. And you're very sorry about the t-shirt and then stop discussing it. Like I've told you what you wanted to hear, not coming out, not bi, not going to say anything. The end until they're done paying for your college education. And then, Time for revenge. Then you put a bi pride parade flag up in front of their house and you have a little march around the block and you go back in and you come out to them as bi. And then they have to eat it and get over it. And they no longer have this ability to control you by threatening to retaliate against you, by threatening to cut you off financially, by threatening to derail your education. And if they're angry, well, tell them that you're angry. 
that you wanted to be who you were. You wanted to be fully honest with them, although you didn't actually come out to them. Your mother opened your mail. You were already doing what they wanted you to do and not making it an issue, not telling them. They told themselves when they snooped. Careful when you snoop. You'll find out things you'd rather not know. But now it's out. Now it's out in the open. After you get your diploma, after you get your degree, it's out in the open and you're by and you don't need their permission to be out and by as an adult. And because of the way we've set up our culture, people are really adolescents now into their late 20s, mid 20s, dependent on their parents financially, dependent on their parents for health insurance in many places, dependent on their parents for a place to live. And shitty, biphobic, homophobic, transphobic parents will play that card. If you tell me the truth, I will punish you. I think under those circumstances, you have a right to lie. So why? Hey, Dan. I'm calling in response to episode 454 and the woman whose boyfriend's libido had tanked and who's wondering if it had anything to do with his uh, new exercise regimen. Um, while being fit and active is definitely an awesome way to rev up your libido, if he's working out too much, if he's exercising to the point of exhaustion every day and not building in enough time to rest and recuperate, um, he could actually be overtraining. Endurance athletes deal with this a lot, and it can mess with everything from your sleep to your mood and your libido. Hi, this is in response to episode 454 with a woman who is in the military and who is having trouble getting picked up by men. I think the key detail there is that she's in the military. I found that a lot of I don't, I'm not in the military, but I have several female relatives who have been, and they all complain that civilian men tend to be very intimidated by women who are in the military. It's like an affront to their masculinity or whatever, and it's patriarchal, and it sucks. Probably once they get to know her, it would be a non-issue, but I think that's more likely that that's the issue rather than she's doing anything wrong. Hi, this is in response to the woman who called in who served in the military and got a bachelor's and all that. She was wondering if she talked too much and why guys don't ask her out. I, I was waiting for you to tell her that she should be the one asking them out. Um, there's no reason in this day and age why a woman should have to wait for a guy to ask her out. And we're going to leave it there. As I mentioned a few shows ago, we are gearing up to do one of our one-minute wonder shows where all of the questions are under one minute, and I try to keep all of my answers to close to one minute. If you have a one-minute wonder question, give us a call, 206-201-2720, and record a question for the one-minute wonder show. If you have a question that cannot be asked or a comment that cannot be delivered in under a minute, you are welcome to call to 206-201-2720 for our regular shows. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Tristan Tarmino on Twitter at Tristan, T R I S T A N, Tarmino, T A O R M I N O. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Love Cast. Thanks for now.